kids here today. So, how are we doing this morning so far? We good? Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, when I woke up this morning and and uh, got got going, it was bright sunshine this morning, wasn't it? Was it at your house? Boy, it was. And I didn't even bring an umbrella. Uh, uh, so, uh, that's how prepared I was today. But you know, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape, right? Praise the Lord. So anyway, uh, glad glad you're here, glad you came, and um, I have really, truly enjoyed this uh, series that Mark has been bringing us about Jonah. Uh, I've been taking notes, I've been thinking about it, I've been praying about it, I hope you have too. It's been thoroughly uh, inspiring to me, encouraging, it's fed me, it's nourished me, it's adjusted me, and so uh, I've, I've uh, really, I really appreciate it. And now uh, Mark's asked me to kind of put an exclamation point on this. Uh, that's at least the way I look at it. He didn't exactly say that, but I, uh, I am uh, hoping to wrap this up, this series on Jonah. Uh, and it, this uh, message is entitled, When Things Don't Go Your Way. <laughs> we could have named it 2020. Anyway, so, so uh, you know, when, when the two hurricanes came in the Gulf, uh, you know, we just kind of looked at each other and went, well, what, the heck, what do you expect? It's 2020. So, um, so you know, I mean, a lot, of, a lot has not gone our way, right, uh, in your life personally, and not just this year, but, but in your life, I mean, my life, all of our lives have surprised us, right? I mean, not everything went the way we thought it would. Uh, not th- things that we planned didn't work out. Uh, so, you know, it's just life. It's just the way it is. You can't blame it all on the devil. Sometimes the devil attacks, and you know clearly you can connect the dots between some sort of spiritual battle. Uh, but you can't say, well, that's all the devil, can you? I mean, sometimes it's just there's evil in the world. You know, we're still haven't, we're not in heaven yet, obviously, clearly. And so some of it is clearly the work of the enemy, and some of it is just sort of the fact that we're, we're still laboring under that curse that uh, hasn't been completely removed yet. But in any case, uh, things don't always go our way. And in this particular uh, passage of Scripture, the story of Jonah, uh, things didn't go his way, uh, but there were reasons for it, right? I mean, there were reasons things didn't. I mean, I mean, he made a big mistake when God called him and said, I want you to go over here. And he said, no, I'm going to go over there. And things immediately didn't go his way, <laughs> right? I mean, God went to great lengths to use somebody who was reluctant, somebody who was rebellious, somebody who was going the other way and doing the opposite of what God wanted. That gives me hope. Does it give you hope? I mean, like when you, were, when you didn't want to go, when you didn't want to do what God wanted you to do, God didn't just say, well, okay, go to hell then. I mean, he didn't. He, he said he kept coming, didn't he? Uh, I, I tried to hide from the Lord in Waco, Texas. And uh, no, those people that, you know, they blew up were not there when I was there. People always ask me, well, did you know those people? No, they weren't there then, the Branch Davidians or whatever they called them. Anyway, no, they weren't. Uh, so Waco was just kind of a little nothing place. The only thing about Waco that anybody knew anything about was that was where Baylor was. So it was, you know, pretty Baptist. And um, and so God can find you in Waco, Texas. I just want you to know that. He can. I was selling cattle feed 
And uh, I had about seven counties that I sold cattle feed in. And uh, I'd just be on the back 40 somewhere in some old, co- old rancher's pickup looking at his cattle with him. And after we got the deal done, he would just start talking about Jesus. Yeah, witnessing to me. I was thinking, I'm just trying to sell cow feed, you know? And you, you want to talk about heaven and hell and Jesus and everything else? And I'm just thinking, I cannot get away. One of them went through the whole plan of salvation with me, got down to the end and said, have you ever asked Jesus to come into your heart? And when I said yes, he said, I don't think you understand. <laughs> went back through the whole thing again. That's because I sure didn't look like I was saved. I had been saved, but I was running from the Lord. So, you know, the Lord will track you down. The Lord tracked Jonah down, didn't he? I mean, we've been listening and hearing about the story as it unfolds. And then we get to the end when he actually does what God wants him to do. And, and, and we already know what happened. Everybody in the whole town got right with the Lord. Everybody, from the king down. Man, that's amazing. That's the biggest spiritual awakening that's recorded in the Bible. Maybe in all of history. We, you know what I mean? I mean, that's what we want to happen here, right? <laughs> here on the Eastern Shore, we want every single person, everybody, no matter who they are, to come to know Jesus, right? We want that, don't we? That's what we're praying for. Well... <laughs> You know, it happened, on, in this case, against the wishes of the guy who told him, you need to get right with God. Isn't that amazing? That don't mess with your theology right there. But when it's, let's, let's just start with, uh, I, I want to just read you this last verse in, in uh, chapter 3 of Jonah. When God saw what they had done, what did they do? They all repented, right? They turned to God. When, when God saw what they'd done and how they had, put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. He didn't do it. He spared them. He gave them mercy, right? And then when you begin with chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, to kind of set this up, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. What change of plan? Well, the plan that God was going to destroy those people because that's what he wanted him to do. He didn't like those guys, remember? He hated them. And so he was real happy to be able to go there and say, God is fixing to bring the shock and awe on your head, and I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. And they got the message and all repented from the king down. And he didn't like it. And he didn't like that God had spared them. Isn't that something? He didn't think they deserved it, as if he did, as if anybody does, for that matter. He did not have a good attitude. He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home you would do this, Lord? That's a little sarcastic, don't you think? Do you hear a little sarcasm there? I mean, I'm not the sharpest tool in the drawer, but man, when, that sounds sarcastic to me. He was sarcastic with God. Tried to tell you. Like my grandmother, you know, anytime anything went wrong, she'd say, I tried to tell you. <laughs> if anything went right, she'd say, it's not going to last. She, you want it on her gravestone. I tried to tell you I was sick. Anyway, she, she's real negative. 
when she went to heaven, God, you know, everybody that knew her was so relieved. Anyway, so, sister, my dad, he didn't like her. So, so Jonah complained to the Lord, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God. Slow to get angry. Filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. I wonder how he knew that. He said, I knew that's how you were. You're merciful. You're slow to get angry. You'd rather give mercy than judgment. Even when people deserve judgment, if they'll turn to you, they get your mercy. The only time they don't get your mercy is when they reject your mercy. The only time when they get your judgment is when they won't take your mercy. In other words, they judge themselves by not receiving the grace that you offer. And I knew you were going to be that way. I just knew it. I knew if I went over there and did what you said, you'd probably give them mercy. And he was bummed out, I'd say. Right? Yeah. So he said, you didn't want to destroy them, so just go ahead and kill me. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Man, that's unreal, isn't it? Kind of sounds a little bit like the older son, doesn't it? A little, do you remember? That's what I immediately thought about the prodigal son, you know. And he comes home after being such a rogue. And the father runs out to meet him, ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and a new robe and throws a barbecue and says, well, the son that was dead is now alive and he's lost and now found and there's just a big party, right? It's a party of grace. I think that's the way church ought to be, don't you? It would be more like a party than whatever it is. But anyway, so you know what I mean. Heaven's going to be a party, isn't it? The devil's a party pooper. Yeah, the devil ain't got the party. We got the party, okay? Because Jesus gave it to us. The older son, though, was when he came in and heard the, you know, saw the dance and the music, smelled the barbecue, he said, what's going on? Your, your brother came home. What? What? He was incensed at the compassion. Have you ever been upset because somebody got blessed and you didn't think they deserved it? Especially people that we don't like. Has there ever been anybody that you had a hard time forgiving and then something went wrong with them and it didn't bother you too much? I just read that in a book somewhere, you know. I just thought, nobody in Fairhope's like that. You know that. All of them are over in Mobile. There's four things to remember when things don't go your way. Whether it's something that God does or something that happens that you have no control over or even something you do. First of all, remember that God can see things I can't see yet. If you fill in the blank, you can write down these words. I can't see yet. Remember that God can see things I can't see yet. God sees what we don't see. God saw 
what Jonah did not see. Jonah chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. The Lord replied after he pitched his little fit his little, and did his little sarcastic thing. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? And, of course, the answer was no. <laughs> it was not right. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited. Listen to this. He waited to see what would happen to the city. He was still hoping for some shock and awe. He was still hoping maybe, maybe he got it wrong and God was still going to put put it on him, right? So he waited to see what he had not yet seen, but God had already seen. When do you think God saw, when do you think God saw that all those people were going to repent and turn back to him? I mean, God's God, right? So he sees everything. You know, I don't understand all that. Do you? I don't understand what God knows and what he doesn't know. I mean, I know he knows everything. I know he's omniscient and omnipotent and all those omni things. You know, all that. I know that. But I just don't understand how it all interplays with free choice and how much freedom we have and all that. So do you? Do you sometimes think about that and go, I just don't get that? Well, let me just say, welcome to the mysterious and the miraculous. Some of it you just got to say, you know what? I don't know, but I don't have to know because I'm on a need-to-know basis. I'm on a need-to-know basis, right? Now, typically, I just want to confess this to you, I feel like I need to know more than I do. (laughs) About what? Pretty much everything. If I'm dealing with a problem, especially, because I want to solve the problem, and I want to know what I need to know to get the desired results that I want. Do you follow that? But sometimes, sometimes it's not clear. Is it that way with you? And that's where faith comes in, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that we are called to see as best we can as God sees, and the only way we can is by faith. So sometimes we know more, okay, about something than at other times, but we are called consistently to exercise our faith. And faith is when you're able to put situations in God's hands when you don't really know what else to do. The Bible's full of examples of people who couldn't see what God saw except by faith. One of the best ones is Abraham. I I love the stories about Abraham, who is called the father of those who believe. Did you know that the New Testament actually says that when you put your faith in Jesus and become a child of God, you also become a child of Abraham because God made an original covenant and promised to Abraham that he would bless him, right, and all the families of the earth would be blessed through him and through his descendants, you know, there would be like more of them than there were sands on the seashore and stars in the sky. Come out here and count them. I can't. Well, that's how many kids you're going to have. And that was before he had any. (laughs) 
So God had made this big promise to Abraham, and the way Paul interprets that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is every time you put your faith in Jesus, it fulfills the promise that God made originally to Abraham. Isn't that cool? And so he's called the father of those who believe. So I'm a child of God, and I'm also a son of Abraham because I put my faith and trust in Jesus who fulfilled the original promise that God made to Abraham. Because through a son would come a family, through a family a tribe, through a tribe a nation, through a nation a Messiah who would save the world. Wow. You know, when God originally spoke to Abraham, he told him, he didn't tell him a whole lot. He didn't know a whole lot. He just said, I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. And he didn't even tell him where it was. There was no GPS. And when the writer of Hebrews wrote, uh, described it in Hebrews eleven eight, listen to this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance, and he went without knowing where he was going. Do you get that? He was on a need-to-know basis, but he didn't know where he was going. He just went. That's what you call faith, don't you? See, Jonah didn't didn't see it the way God saw it. He just hoped that God would bless these people. And when God gave them mercy instead, he didn't see it the way God saw it. And that's the point. We need to. Right? I love the old King James Version. I don't use the King James too much anymore. It's it's just too closely associated with how I grew up in church, and that wasn't one of the best things about it. I value a lot of things about it. The King James wasn't one thing. That was one thing that I know, because I couldn't understand it very well, even though that's how we memorize Scripture. We had sword drills. Y'all don't even know what that is, do you? Do you know what that is? You you do? Golly. You would, you would, it was how quick you could find stuff in the Bible. I was so slow. I was the most pitiful sword drill guy. They would go, attention, draw swords. You put your Bible out in front of you. And they'd call out the reference, go, go! And you... <laughs> and that's all. I guess it had a purpose, you know. Except Barbara McGuff. She was the one who could always do it. I hated her. How did she do that? I don't know. She was just quick. King James wasn't so much. Also, we had a real boring preacher. Woo, gosh. There's no way in the world he could have been boring, that boring naturally. You know, he had to take classes to be. His words were like water to a drowning man. Anyway, so, so hey, in the King James, though, he went out not knowing where he was going. You know what it says in King James? He went out not knowing whither he was going. I like that. Not knowing whither. Most like that word, whither. I do. I like it. It's an old Bible word. It means you don't know where the heck you're going. That's what that means. But you're going anyway by faith. And ultimately when When Abraham walked by faith and his faith was tested in an ultimate way, 
God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to take the son that by then had been given miraculously to him, Isaac, and was, what, maybe 12 years old, and told him to sacrifice him on an altar in uh, Mount Moriah, and he did it. He did that. He was willing to make that sacrifice. He did what God told him to do. And this is how Hebrews eleven nineteen describes that. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. You know that story. He was just about ready to kill him, and then the Lord stayed his hand, and there was a ram, and he said, don't kill him. He's got a sacrifice, but because you didn't spare your son from me, you acted in faith, you obeyed me, I'm going to bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. Man, that's a great story. It's emotional and it's spiritual and it's powerful and it's life-changing. And it's because Abraham somehow saw something. He didn't see that ram, did he? He didn't see that. But he saw that God was even able to raise the dead. Nobody had ever been raised from the dead back then. How did he know that? Maybe we have a clue when when Jesus actually talked about Abraham and Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. How did he see it? How could he see it? He saw the day of Jesus. Maybe he saw Jesus being raised from the dead by some miraculous revelation and knew that God could raise his son if need be. That's what you can see by faith. That's big, isn't it? Paul, the great explainer of faith, in the New Testament, said, so we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. The things we see now will soon be gone. The things we cannot see will last forever. We live by believing and not by seeing. We live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's how we live. So if you are in a situation where you don't really know what to do about it, It's an opportunity for you to exercise your faith in Jesus as never before and put it in God's hands and be willing to obey the Lord in whatever you know to do. I may not see it all, but I'm going to do this. (laughs) I may not see everything in terms of the direction God is leading, but I know what the Lord wants me to do today, and that is be thankful and trust Him and pray and obey Him. And if all else fails, just pick something in the Bible and do it. He's big enough to stop you or redirect you, don't you think? That's what faith does. We've been tested too, haven't we? But the longer trouble happens, the more opportunity we have for faith to grow. Here's the second thing to remember. Not only remember that God can see things I can't see, Yeah, but remember that God is good to me even when I am cranky. God is good to me even, you can write it down. You can write it down for your husband. (laughs) Even when I am cranky. Do you get cranky? Sometimes I get cranky even before I get up. I get sometimes I get I get to feeling grumpy before my feet ever hit the ground. I have to intentionally say, "Okay, now you're gonna to have to rein in some of that crankiness."
Sometimes, you know, when young people, I ask you, these, by young, I mean, you know, uh, 30 or younger, 40 maybe, anyway, and you say, how you doing? And they go, I'm so tired. You know what I want to say? No. No, you're not. You have no right to be tired. You're not old enough to be tired. Cranky, gripey, whiny. Thou shalt not whine. It's in there. Jonah 4, 6. The Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. This is where he was sitting, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He was angry and complaining, and God still gave him shade and relief. You know, that just shows how good God is, isn't he? Some of us have become extremely ungrateful, and I, and I confess it. I confess, because there, are so, there is so much negative that can just be overwhelmed by it, can't you? That's why I'm, I'm just trying to watch the news less. I try to read my news now and take it in smaller bites, because I was a news junkie for so long. It's kind of like the news was always on, and I just felt like I needed to be like right there on every headline and you know, somebody posted a thing the other day that I thought was great. It says, write your own headline. Uh, praise God. Confess Jesus is Lord over the situation. If you're not careful, the negative will overwhelm you. Won't it? It's not benign. It's not neutral. It's not. It'll steal your joy and your peace and it'll make you anxious. It'll make you worried, make you afraid, make you complain, make you join into conversations that make it worse, not better. You'll find yourself being upset with people that you don't even know. I disagree. I can't even. I don't even like people I agree with anymore. <laughs> it's like, golly, y'all are. You may be right, but I can't stand to listen to you because you're so darn mean. Do you hear what I'm saying? And in the middle of our negativity and our complaining attitude and being cranky, God comes with His kindness. God comes with relief. God comes with His love and His grace to call us deeper as Lily was singing about, to say, come on, out of that stuff. In Romans 2, 4, it says, it talks about that. Or man, if you go back and read Romans chapter 2, there's some strong stuff in there about not having any excuse about your sin and how God has revealed himself to everybody. And it says in Romans 2, 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In other words, his kindness leads to repentance. And repentance is when you change your mind and your behavior. I want to tell you something. The whole time I've loved the Lord, I've done a lot of apologizing to God, but I've done more apologizing than repenting. 
Because repenting is just changing, isn't it? And we are creatures of habit. Have you noticed? And so it's not what you occasionally do that defines you. It's what you habitually do. That's what defines you. You are what you habitually do. That's right. And so what God is out to do is to change our habits from the inside out so that our our thought life and our behavior reflects His will. And we develop righteous habits. That's what repentance is. When you replace unhealthy, sinful, selfish habits with righteous habits. And His kindness leads you to that kind of change. Sometimes change is uncomfortable, particularly when you're in a cranky, complaining, whining mood, and then God, and and of course, most of the time, it's about what somebody else is doing, right? And God just comes along and says, let's don't worry about them. Let's just deal with you. Well, no, let's just deal with them, Lord. You know what's wrong with everybody around you, don't you? Sure, sure you do. But how, how, how successful have you been in changing them? Have you given it up yet? Because you need to. You can't change people, can you? God can, and you can love them and pray for them, and you can maybe be part of the solution, but God is the only one who can change people. And if you assume that responsibility, you've got a hard row. His kindness. He comes along and says, come on. You can change, and I'll help you. It's not his threat. Do you follow that? It's not his threat. He could threaten you. (laughs) Change or else. If you don't change, bend over and kiss yourself goodbye because you're fixing to be blasted. That's kind of how they did me at church growing up. I was scared to death of God. Were you? I ran to the altar every time they ever gave me a chance to because who wants to go to hell? Nobody. I was pretty sure I wasn't going, but when they got through talking about it, I wasn't anymore. Well, finally, I, I and I believe in hell. Don't get me wrong. I believe that's true. But somehow I missed out that God was kind. And though I had sinned, I had value. And he wanted to let my the kindness change me. In Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, it talks about getting showered with kindness. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us. Isn't that good? Along with all wisdom and understanding. So, so what he's given us is what? A kindness shower. Isn't that good? Showered me with kindness. That's refreshing, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? That we have a God that, that loves us that much? Jesus said... You know, you need to come to me if you're exhausted. And I'll give you what? Rest. That's relief. That's refreshing. That kindness will fill you to overflowing, and you can then share that with somebody else. Here's the third thing to remember, and that is that God is in control even the small details. Even in the small details. If you're filling in the blank, you can write that down. Have you ever heard this statement, the devil's in the details? <laughs> you know what they mean by that. If you, the, the details, if you don't tend to the details, it'll bite you. That's what they're saying. But I, I would suggest to you, God is in the details. God is in the details. And God is concerned about the details of our lives. And so look at, look at this in, in 
in Jonah 4, 7 through 9. God also arranged for a worm. A little detail. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. Remember, God had let that plant grow to shade him from the heat because he wanted to refresh him. And then God let the worm, who's, all right, a little detail, eat away the plant. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. So it was August in Nineveh. And he said, death is certainly better than living like this. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. He was trying to teach him something, wasn't he? That's what he was doing. You're uptight about these little things, and, and, that, and you're mad at me because I loved all these people and spared them. That's what he was saying. He was using details to get his attention. That's what he was doing. Now, I, I love that God is in, into the details, not just the big deals, but the little deals. I love that. How do we know that's true? Well, Jesus said in Luke twelve seven, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid you're more valuable than God, to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You say, you know, there's not even a sparrow hits the ground. God doesn't know it. And the very hairs on your head. I used to have a lot of hair on my head. I got pictures to prove it. My hair was bushy. and I, I spent a lot of time on it. I had to. It was so bushy and big. I had big hair. But the Lord took care of that vanity. He did. Now, I just have to be concerned about the lights, you know, and the effect it has on people. I was preaching one time over in Mississippi, and it was a real formal church, and this real elegant older lady was sitting right down front. She was all dressed up. I bet she was 85 years old. She was a day. She even had, she had on a hat. She, had, she was really dressed up like women used to, you know, had, a hat, had gloves on in church, man. She was cool. She came up to me after the service. She she had a real southern drawl. She said, Pastor McLean, I love your sermons. I said, thank you so much. She said, sometimes while you're preaching, I bow my head and I close my eyes, but I am not in prayer. I said, oh, really? She said, it's the glare from your head. <laughs> I went, oh, sorry. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Get out of here. Now, I, I don't know. <laughs> what do you say? Sometimes the Lord doesn't have as much to keep up with when he numbers the hairs on our head. But what difference does that make? Who cares? It doesn't really matter, does it? No more than a sparrow dying. You ever hit a sparrow with your truck? I hit one with my truck not too long ago. It wasn't much to it. God knew it. Just a detail. My favorite miracle that Jesus did illustrates this in a powerful way. They were 
you know, it was that, that meeting where they had all those thousands of people and everybody was tired and hungry, which gives me hope, you know, about the way we do church. Church can make you tired and hungry. Ain't no doubt about it. Even Jesus had that. Okay, so there you go. That's just a little side story. Anyway, the disciples said, what are we going to do, man? They're all hungry and tired. And he said, you feed them. And they said, you kidding me? What? We don't have anything to feed them. Well, Jesus asked him a question. He said, what do you have? You know, it's a beautiful thing when Jesus asks you what you have. You don't, you don't have to give Jesus what you don't have. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I hear people say, you know, when I win the lottery, I'm going to tithe. Well, you're not going to win it. Just go ahead and tithe. You know what I mean? People are generous to what they don't have. Just be generous with what you do have. God's not concerned about what you don't have. God's not going to ask you to give what you don't have. He's going to ask you to give what you do have. Right? Already. So he said, what do you have? And this is what they said. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. That was it. Okay? So what did Jesus do? He took what they had, put his hand on it, and it blew up. I mean, it multiplied and fed all those people, and that is the coolest miracle. Isn't it? The original happy meal. I mean, that's happy, man. That's happy. Everybody got to eat. Everybody was full. Twelve baskets full of food left over, one for each of the disciples who didn't think they had enough. That's called a detail becoming a big deal, isn't it? If I read it right. Just because they gave it to Jesus. Here's another one of my favorite miracles of Jesus. Got blind guy comes to Jesus. How many blind people did Jesus heal? A bunch of them. A lot of them he just went, be healed. They, you know. But this one, this guy comes to him, he's blind. So Jesus, in John 9, 6, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes and told him to go go wash it off. What was that about? Doesn't explain it. Do you reckon the disciples, and I mean, you know they were just sitting there going, what is he doing? Is he spitting? He's spitting. The rabbi is spitting now. Wonder if they tried to make something religious out of it. Let's watch how he spits. Wow, that's holy spit right there. And he makes a little mud out of the spit. Is this gross or what? No, it's really cool. <laughs> oh, you know, later when the guy gets healed, they said, Who healed you? They go, The one they called Jesus. Where is he? Well, I didn't see him. <laughs> oh, God. He didn't, did he? He didn't see him. <laughs> There's some great comedy in that story. That's why I love it. It's so real. Just a little spit. <coughs> Hawking one. <laughs> little old detail, right? But the whole the guy's life was changed, wasn't it? Why? Because he got healed. See, big miracles come from little things. Do you see that? God is in the details, not the devil. The God is in the details. When Jesus told stories, he told stories. So many of his stories were about planting seeds 
He said, if you get this story straight, if you understand this story, you're going to understand all the other stories I tell. And it was from Matthew 13 where it says he told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. And then he goes on to describe the different kinds of soil. Remember that story? Different kinds of hearts that either receive the seed or don't, either become fruitful or they don't. And how that all works, go back and read it. It's in Matthew 13. But what is the point? A seed is small, baby. It's just a small detail, but the DNA of the kingdom was in that seed. And what you plant, you will harvest. And God is not a magician who shows up and miraculously changes a bad harvest. He just says, hey, plant some good seeds. That's what he said. And the DNA of what he plants in us is in seed form, but it produces great fruit. Do you see that? And there's so many seeds that have been planted in me and in you, and you know that's true, don't you? Just a word of encouragement, and it bears fruit into a whole ministry because somebody at a strategic moment planted a seed of encouragement in you, and now there's a whole harvest of lives that you touch because you didn't give up when you wanted to. And it was because somebody came along at the right time and said, it's not too late, and God's not through with you, and you can do something that counts. You follow that? All because of a tiny little seed. Don't despise the day of small things or small assignments. Be faithful in the small, and it'll get big because God gives the increase. Detail. God loves them. He loves to take a little food and make a lot. He loves to take a little seed and make a big harvest. You might be able to count the seeds in an apple, but you cannot count the apples in a seed. You didn't know all that was in Jonah, did you? (laughs) Here's the fourth one. Fourth and final. Isn't that great? Don't you love it? Oh, Let's say it again. The fourth and final point. Hallelujah. I can smell the chicken from here. Remember, on the, remember one more thing. To focus on what will last. You see, Jonah wasn't focused on the eternal value of the people of Nineveh, was he? No. He was ready to write them off. Jonah 4, 10 through 11. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant. Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly, it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Shouldn't he? Yeah. Shouldn't Jonah? Sure. Should have. Maybe he did. Maybe that's why we have the story. You know, when Mark said that at the first sermon he talked about, it, he said maybe maybe Jonah did come around and kind of leaves it open-ended. You don't really know for sure, you know, whether Jonah ever came to his senses and saw it the right way or not because it just kind of ends, right, like that. But then we do have it. I mean, it was recorded. So somebody wrote it down, and maybe it was written down because Jonah did finally come to his senses. We don't know. But maybe he did. I hope he did, don't you? Yeah. But the point remains, what matters to us? What matters to us? What really matters to us? And will we see what matters as God does and make our investments accordingly? 
You know, one of the things that Paul talked about was how when you become a new person in Jesus Christ, it changes your perspective on how you value other people, how you evaluate them, how you appraise them. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17, he said this, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When you get the new life in Jesus, what does it do? It causes you to see other people the way God sees them. You can't just write them off anymore. You can't belittle them in any way because of the color of their skin, right? Or because they're different from you or because you disagree with them or whatever, right? That's the answer. That's the answer right there. My heart changes. God changes my heart. And because He changes my heart... I understand what matters. What matters? People. People matter. People matter. There's no U-Haul behind the hearse. My good friend Gary Browning just crossed over. He just died. And the pastor who preached, Charles Simpson, an old friend of, of mine, and I'm thankful to know these people. And Charles Simpson said something profound about Gary. You know what he said? He said he was not a good man who died. He was a fruitful man who lived. He was a fruitful man. Why was he fruitful? Because he invested his life in what? People, not institutions. People. Institutions are okay, but God has no commitment to that. God has commitment to people. If you need something to, to serve people, have at it. But people is what it's about. It's touching people. It's touching people's lives. It's loving them. It's speaking the truth in love to them. It's caring about them. Peter wanted us to understand that everybody, everybody's included. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really slow about His promises, some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Those who believe God has chosen some to be saved and some to be damned, I don't believe what they say. I believe God has chosen all of us to be saved. And God is not willing that any should perish. And you're welcome to disagree with me. That's okay. I'll still love you even though you're wrong. But I'm glad to be able to stand in a jail cell or with these interns or go down to the prison or wherever and say, Jesus died for everybody in here. Now will you accept the one who loves you? Everybody matters. Everybody's valuable. Jesus died for all. And when we know that in our spirits and our lives have been changed by that grace, we don't evaluate people the same way. And especially the people who have needs, really bad needs, because that's why Jesus said, now look, when, when it all boils down to it, it matters how you treat people, especially the ones that are naked and hungry and in prison and sick. And he, and he concludes in Matthew 25 with the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. So it's, it's everybody, and it's especially those 
who are the, what he calls the least of these, especially them, especially the ones that really need help. Okay? So if we're going to see it right and evaluate it right and live for what has eternal value, that's where it's going to be, right there. That's where it's going to be. It's going to be, it's going to be I'm going to live my life for Jesus, and I'm going to ask him to help me love the people he died to save. And I especially want to be sensitive to those who have special needs. Is that fair? Am I reading it right? Is that too simple? Thank God it's not complicated. Thank God this is not just for smart people, sophisticated people. It's for all of us. We can get there. We can. The story of Jonah is a great, great illustration. It's all true, really happened, but it's a great spiritual illustration of how we interact with God's call in our lives, His assignment, and what it ultimately ends up being is God using sometimes reluctant people to do great things who change people's lives. And that's what we have the honor of doing. May it be true for all of us. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we pray, and then Mark's going to come wrap us up. Lord, I just want to pray right now and ask you to speak to each person, and each person that's listening online. Now, you know what we need. You know what we need to hear. And so, Lord, we just pray you meet us right where we are. And let us be sensitive and be able to hear what you are indeed saying. To somebody here or online who's never received Jesus, we invite you to open your heart and pray and ask Jesus to come in. And if you do, please let us know so we can help you. Most of us perhaps are already Christians, but we could hear a fresh word that calls us to see more clearly and obey more consistently in the power of the Holy Spirit. May be so in Jesus' name. Amen.